What if I told you the best conference in college football refuses to add an extra conference game? Crazy. You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on today to get started. On today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, we are discussing the SEC's decision to stick with eight conference games in 2024. Then we're discussing Dylan Mitchell's decision to choose the University of Texas over professional basketball, while Ron Holland chooses professional basketball over the University of Texas. We discuss all of that and more on today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Also, if you're listening or watching on YouTube, in my last episode, I announced a campaign to get to 3,000 YouTube subscribers. We are currently about 80 away, so if you're listening on YouTube and haven't subscribed yet, please do so. I appreciate all of the subscriptions, all of the likes, all of the views on YouTube, and all of the listens on audio. I could not do any of this without your support, so thank you all. Now, the SEC teams are currently in Destin, Florida, for the SEC spring meetings taking place this week. I believe they end today. Not sure what time they end today. Not sure that matters (laughs) what time they end today. And all 16 teams of the future SEC are represented. Now, Texas and Oklahoma cannot vote but they are in the building. The 14 teams currently in the SEC do have a vote, and the main topic of discussion this week has been the eight- or nine-game conference schedule, right, for 2024. And they made the decision to stick with eight conference games in 2024 when Texas and Oklahoma joined the conference. Now, the good news for the supporters, like me, of the nine-game conference schedule is that this is not a permanent solution, more so a stopgap solution because they could not come to an agreement this week, Greg Sankey, who is in favor of the nine game conference schedule, like your boy, <laughs> will has said that this is something they will revisit prior to the 2025 season. So I have hope that after Texas and Oklahoma's first year and the SEC, we will move to not only the nine game conference schedule, but the three, three, six format, which includes the three non-conference opponents, the three permanent opponents you would play every year in the SEC, and then the six rotating opponents you would play every two years in the SEC. So I mentioned that Texas and Oklahoma are in the building, but did not have a vote. Only the 14 current teams had a vote. So you would have needed a majority vote or eight to six vote to approve moving to a nine game conference schedule. However, the vote was believed to be five to nine, five in favor of the eight game conference schedule. Excuse me, five in favor of the nine game conference schedule, nine in favor of the eight game conference schedule. Now, the five schools believed to be in favor of the nine game conference schedule is Florida. Not surprised by that. Billy Napier, when he was the head coach at ULL, said it in a post game press conference, scared money don't make no money. That's exactly what he did with his vote. Georgia, Kirby Smart was on record saying this is a dumb discussion in the first place. And when you haven't lost a regular season SEC game in the last two years, it makes sense why you don't matter, (laughs) why you don't care if they add a game or not, right? LSU, they just won the SEC West. Brian Kelly has bravado. He's not ducking any smoke. Missouri, I was surprised, but I guess they feel like if they're going to be in the middle of the conference anyway, might as well make more money doing it. And then Texas A&M, we know Texas A&M wants to play Texas and LSU every year. The only way to do that is to 
vote for the nine game conference schedule. So in the three, three, six format. So shout out to Texas A&M for doing the right thing. Now, the nine schools in opposition, Vanderbilt makes all the sense in the world. Why would they want to add an extra SEC game? I already know how Vanderbilt's going to vote next year. Right. I'm not surprised by that at all. Alabama, very surprised by it. You know, Nick Saban got in front of the media as many times as he could and said that he was in favor of going to nine conference games. But then he found out that Tennessee, Auburn and LSU would likely be his three permanent opponents. And then he started to waffle a little bit and he voted against it. Right. The most dominant team in college football the last 15 years ducking an extra conference game is crazy to me. But I digress. Ole Miss, I thought Lane Kiffin would definitely, you know, come out with some bravado and say, yeah, add an extra conference game. But Lane Kiffin is also probably the coach that's like, man, why would I want to make my job more difficult? So, you know, I get that. Don't agree, but I get it. Mississippi State, not sure who their new coach is, but I feel like I know how Mike Leach would have voted. Rest his soul. Auburn, whatever. South Carolina, they play Clemson every year. I get it. Don't agree with it, but I get it. Tennessee, their fans are complaining that they play Georgia and Alabama every year already. So why would they want to make their schedule even tougher? I get it. Don't agree, but I get it. And then Arkansas and Kentucky, I'm indifferent. So those are the nine schools that are in opposition of adding more competition to their schedule. Now, the good thing for the SEC is this is the last year for divisions in the conference, right? This is the last year of the SEC East and the SEC West in 2023. When Texas and Oklahoma get to the conference in 2024, there will be no more divisions. And just the two top teams with the two conference records will make the SEC championship game similar to what we were used to and accustomed to in the Big 12. So that is what the eight conference game schedule in 2024 means for the SEC. Hopefully prior to the 2025 season, we can come up with a more permanent solution. And hopefully that solution is the 3-3-6 format with the nine conference games. Now, what does all of this mean for Texas, right? That's what that means for the SEC. What does this mean for Texas? Well, in 2024, you will still play at Michigan. You will still play Colorado State and you will still play UTSA. But now you must add a fourth non-conference opponent. And the SEC has a rule that every team must schedule a power five non-conference opponent. And Texas already did that and scheduled a pretty tough one at Michigan, right in Ann Arbor. So they just have to find a fourth non-conference opponent. We know Texas has historically stayed away from scheduling FCS teams. So I don't do them. I don't see them doing anything like that. But I definitely think, you know, you could add another Rice or Wyoming type school to your schedule, right? Don't get too cute trying to add a tough Power 5 team on top of Michigan, right? Just add another team that's not an FCS team and let's rock and roll, okay? <laughs> you're going to play Oklahoma as usual, right? That is going to be your one permanent opponent. Most likely you're going to play them every year in the Cotton Bowl. Like I said, business as usual as if you were in the Big 12. Now, Greg Sankey, once again, in favor of the nine-game conference schedule, has said that he is going to do his best. The SEC are going to do their best to preserve primary and secondary rivalries in 2024. Now, we know we won't know for sure who Texas will play outside of Oklahoma, Michigan, Colorado State, and UTSA in 2024. We won't know that for sure until the schedules are released on June 14th. And if Texas A&M is not on that schedule, I will have a lot to say on June 15th. But based on what Greg Sankey said about primary and secondary rivalries, I would expect that Texas and Texas A&M will be resumed in 2024. Now you're probably asking what are primary and secondary rivalries. I'm not exactly sure. The best way I can explain it is if Texas and Oklahoma are primary rivals, then Texas and Texas A&M would be a secondary rival. If Georgia and Florida are primary rivals, then Georgia and Auburn would be secondary rivals. If Texas and Texas A&M on the A&M side are primary rivals, then Texas A&M and LSU would be secondary rivals. So 
I'm assuming that the SEC is going to try to preserve those secondary games on the 2024 schedule as well. Now, so I think that Texas will play A&M in 2024, but we won't know that for sure until June 14th of this year. The big question mark is where that game will take place. And both schools have arguments, right? Texas has the argument of the last time it was played, it was in College Station, and this is a game that was alternated every year between home stadiums. And the SEC, I mean, excuse me, the AM and the Aggies have an argument in terms of yes, the last game was played in College Station, but that was 12 years ago in a different conference, right? We've been in the SEC for a decade. We're the incumbent team. You are the newbie team in Texas, right? You are the rookies in the SEC. We have no problem playing Texas in Texas AM, but the first one, we should get it because you're coming into our conference. And don't hate me. Don't get mad at me in the comments, but I definitely agree on the AM side. We are coming into their conference. I think the first game back should be in College Station. And to me, I think we're going to beat the hell out of them wherever we play. So it doesn't matter, right? I just want to see Texas AM on the schedule. I don't care if it's in College Station. I don't care if it's in Austin. I don't care if they play at Jerry World. Just put Texas AM and Texas on the schedule if they're in the same conference, right? And the last thing it means for Texas is going into 2025 you would need a nine to seven vote to secure the three, three, six format moving forward in the SEC. So you had five schools that already voted for it this year. Texas and Oklahoma have been vocal about their support for the three, three, six format. That would get you at seven, but you need nine to approve it. So you need two of the nine schools that voted against it this year to basically vote for it next year. I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but it needs to happen for the SEC to move to the 336 format, which is the only format that's acceptable for me with 16 teams in the best conference in college football, where it just means more. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we're going to talk about Dylan Mitchell, who made the right decision and the best decision to return to the 40 acres for another year. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet of up to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. There's no better place to bet all of the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no-sweat first bet of up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. So I said that I was going to let y'all know by the time the final started who my finals pick was. I forgot that in June and July, we are technically in the offseason and we only have to produce three episodes a week as opposed to five. I know some of y'all are saying, John, you only give us three episodes a week, period. <laughs> but I didn't get a chance to say anything to y'all before last night's game. So I have Denver winning. You know, I think Denver is going to win in six games. Um, and so I'll stick with that. But I had Denver winning prior to them winning last night. And I know some people would think that hindsight is 2020. I saw them winning. So now I'm picking Denver, of course, after one game. But I do think Denver is just the better team. Although you see me with my Chicago Bulls shirt on. I am a Chicago Bulls fan. I think this shirt is from like 96. Um, but I'm also a huge Jimmy Butler fan because we drafted and developed him. The Jimmy Butler you see before you today as the best player on the Miami Heat. All right. I know. I know. Here go John rambling again, talking about the NBA. All I want to hear is about is Texas and my Longhorns. All right, let's talk about Dylan Mitchell. And Dylan Mitchell made the right decision to come back to the University of Texas. And this was a surprising decision, a decision that came down literally to the 11th hour, right? I think that on May 31st was the deadline to either keep your name in the draft or withdraw your name for the draft. Like you had to do it by midnight, June 1st, right? And I literally don't think that he announced or it was announced that he had withdraw, withdrawn his name 
until literally like 11 that night because I didn't even find out until I woke up the next morning. So I think he, you know, definitely, you know, had Longhorn fans, you know, kind of walking on eggshells or, you know, sitting at the edge of their seat all day. But nonetheless, he made the decision to come back to the University of Texas. And like I said, I was surprised because, you know, based on what we saw on the court last year, you felt like he might want to come back and improve his draft stock. But we know that he had a lot of traits that pretty much will translate to the NBA right now. I mean, you're talking about somebody with a, you know, 6'8 frame, a 6'10 wingspan that can guard multiple positions, is probably one of the most athletic players in the NBA right now, <laughs> you know, and definitely has some 3 and D potential. And he showed that 3 and D potential when he made 64% of his threes in a workout, right? He made 16 out of 25 threes. And so I definitely felt like he was gone at that point because he didn't attempt a three at the University of Texas last year at all. So to go make 16 out of 25, it had to have scouts buzzing about his offensive potential when we already saw his potential to defend multiple positions last year and rebound at a high level while also having just insane athleticism, right? And when you look at what he was able to do at Texas last year, he only averaged four points a game, four rebounds in 17 minutes per game. Just felt like he was underutilized or he didn't have much of a skill set to benefit the team outside of his natural abilities, right? To go further, he only played 25 plus minutes once, once conference play started and never scored in double figures again. So when conference play started on like January 1st, all the way to the Miami game, he only played in, he only played 25 minutes in a game one time in that two and a half month stretch. And he never scored in double figures the last two and a half months of the season. Right. And that is probably the biggest reason why he's coming back to the University of Texas, because it's one thing to make 16 threes in a workout. But when you didn't attempt a three at all in 30 plus games in college, when you started every single one, I think it was 38 games. You started every single game for the University of Texas and did not attempt a three. But then you go make 16 out of 25 threes in an NBA workout. I think NBA scouts and, you know evaluators and decision makers are probably like okay what should we lean on more the 38 game sample size or these 25 shots he just took in this workout and I think you have to lean more on the 38 game sample size because anybody can shoot threes in an open gym like I've said on the podcast before I have seen instances of Dwight Howard making 15 threes in a row in an open gym but there's a reason that Dylan Mitchell can make 16 threes in an open gym but didn't attempt one in a game right you have to have the confidence in the game to make them right and he did not have that last year so now he's coming back to the university of texas to build on his offensive game and build on that confidence to hopefully next year get drafted in the lottery because when he was a top five prospect coming out of high school coming out of mont bird after winning a state championship we felt like oh he's a lot to go in the lottery but we did not see enough from him at all and he almost kind of got taken out of the rotation down the stretch for him to be a lottery pick but just based on potential and athleticism he would probably go in the second round but he's looking at it like if i come back and just show just a little bit more right just a little bit more i'll be a lot to be a lottery pick and go in that first 14 so what does 2023 mean for dylan mitchell because now this is kind of a contract year for him right he's coming back to a very talented basketball team obviously to improve his draft stock i mean of course he wants to win at the university of texas of course he wants to win a championship but the main reason he's coming back is to improve his draft stock if he would have averaged 20 and 10 last year he would not be coming back to the university of texas to help us get over the hump right so he's coming back to improve his draft stock what does 2023 mean for dylan mitchell i have a worst case scenario a likely case scenario and a best case scenario the worst case scenario is Dylan Mitchell hasn't developed at all, right? And he doesn't have the confidence to shoot the mid-range or the three-point jumper in a college game. 
So worst case scenario is you get the exact same Dylan Mitchell you got last year. And I think Ronnie Terry would still sign up for that because you're still getting a multi-positional defender, somebody who pretty much on every night can guard two through four and on most nights can guard the one and the five as well. Somebody that can guard one through five with that 6'10 wingspan and his athleticism and athletic score around the rim, right? Basically what you saw last year, dunks and putbacks, right? That would be what he would be doing this year. Then a capable rebounder slash rim protector alongside Dylan DeSue and Caden Shedrick would might give you the best defensive front court in college basketball. So if Dylan Mitchell does not develop at all, he still gives you exactly what he gave you last year, which is being able to guard multiple positions, being very athletic, being able to score around the rim and being able to rebound and being kind of a pseudo rim protector next to Caden Shedrick. He's still a NBA player in a college jersey if he does not develop at all, right, based on what we saw last year. The likely case is everything I just mentioned with a reliable mid-range or three-point jumper for spacing, right? You're going to need spacing when you have Max Amos and, um, you know, Tyrese Hunter on the court, Kendall Weaver, whoever. I also don't think Caden Shedrick is going to be a floor spacer for you. So it's going to be hard to have a lineup with Caden Shedrick and Dylan Mitchell on the floor if neither one of them have a reliable jump shot. But we have seen that at least in a practice setting, Dylan Mitchell has a reliable jump shot. What needs to happen this year for the Texas basketball team to take the next step, for Dylan Mitchell to take the next step, is him to have the confidence and the ability to knock down that mid-range or three-point jump shot in games this year for the Texas Longhorns. That's the likely case scenario. We see that level of development from Dylan Mitchell while still being able to guard multiple positions, guard around the rim, score around the rim, and be a rim protector and rebounder. The best case scenario is he turns into Kevin Durant, right? And that's not going to happen at all, but that's the best case scenario. And everything I mentioned previously, but he turns into a player that can create his own shot, right? I don't expect to see that maybe on a few occasions. I think he's going to be more of a spot-up shooter, somebody that Max Amos or Tyrese Hunter are going to have to get involved off the bounce or something like that. But even if he can stand out there and knock down that mid-range shot or knock down that three-point shot, that adds so much to this offense because I think that that is going to be the poison that defense is picked, right? I think defenses are going to look at Dylan Mitchell and say, okay, we're going to leave you out there. If you make it, we'll shake your hand after the game and say, good game, son, right? But I don't think they're just going to be guarding, you know, Dylan Mitchell from half court, right? I think that he's going to get a lot of open mid-range and three-point jumpers. Can he knock them down in a game setting? That's the next step for Dylan Mitchell, and it's going to open up so much for this offense. Now, I've been quiet, and I've let all of the Rodney Terry detractors talk all their mess. When we have players decommitting, and we have players transferring, and we had players entering the draft process. All I heard was, this is why you don't hire an assistant. See, I told you this was Chris Beer's team. Blah, 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 blah. Ronnie Terry won't be here in three years, right? All of that. And I sat back and I said, you know, things don't look for me good. You know, things don't look good for me right now. I've been a staunch Ronnie Terry supporter and I don't have much to say, right? So I sat back because I knew at some point I would have the last laugh. And now... As a Texas fan, if you are a Texas fan, and if you're a Texas fan, you should be supporting Rodney Terry. You should not be rooting against Rodney Terry so you can say you were right. Now, as a Texas fan, there's no way to look at this roster and still question if Rodney Terry can recruit. And two, there's no way you can look at this roster and not be excited 
about what is to come in 2023 for this Texas basketball team. Because when I look at it, your starting point guard is Max Amos, the active points leader in college basketball, somebody who has averaged 20 points a game for the last three years in college basketball. I also think he is a better number one scoring option than Marcus Carr was for you the last two years. Tyrese Hunter, elite on-ball defender, one of the best on-ball defenders at the guard position in college basketball, and also a good three-point shooter who I did not feel had a great year last year. I think he had great moments but I don't think he had a great year last year coming back second year at the University of Texas a leader on this team I think he'll be a lot better Dylan Mitchell NBA player in a college uniform elite athleticism with crazy 3D 3 and D potential we just talked about that Dylan DeSue the biggest X factor on the team the last nine games of the season averaged 17 and 8 in the two games in the NCAA tournament he averaged 23 and 10 this is somebody that could be the Big 12 player of the year or definitely a Big 12 all Big 12 first team performer he's also somebody who led the sec in rebounding when he was at vanderbilt so like i said he's the biggest x factor on the team if he goes back to the first half of the season dylan desu then i'm not sure how good this texas basketball team will be if dylan desu plays like he did the last nine games he's one of the best players in the country you have one of the best one-two punches in the country and max amos and dylan desu and this is going to be one of the best basketball teams in the country next season Caden shedrick he will be he will be not can be will be a Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year finalist next season. Brock Cunningham, gritty defender, 40% three-point shooter. Kendall Weaver, explosive slasher, 40% three-point shooter. And Zarek Anyema, a Christian Bishop clone. That is your eight-man rotation at the University of Texas right now. This screams a team that could score 80 points a game while holding you to 65 points a game. But, you know, like I said, I think Dylan DeSue is the biggest X factor in that. And I think you still need to find another piece that can come in and knock down threes for you and also can guard on the perimeter. If you can do that, the Big 12 will be tough next year. I think TCU got a lot better. I think Kansas got a lot better. But I think you're solely in that top three in the Big 12 next year. Baylor will be good, you know, as well. And I think at worst, at worst, you'll be a four seed in the NCAA tournament next year. Rodney Terry and his staff have done a hell of a job fortifying this roster based on everything that has happened this offseason. And this looks like a roster that will be a better three-point shooting team than they were last year, will be a better defensive team than they were last year, and may have a higher ceiling than the team we saw last year at the 40 Acres. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we're going to get into Ron Holland choosing the G League over Texans and Arkansas. So I'm not going to spend too much time on this. You know, now we know that Ron Holland, who committed to the University of Texas and decommitted, will not play his college basketball at the University of Texas, will not play college basketball at the University of Texas at all. And so now he just becomes another what if. Right. And so, like I said, I don't want to spend too much time on this. It sucks because he's a very talented player. Like I said about Dylan Mitchell, an NBA player in a college jersey. And the perfect fit for what Rodney Terry wants to do at the University of Texas, even though he's still working on his jump shot. And I'm not sure how reliable that would have been in his freshman year in college. He's just somebody that does everything else well and he competes so hard. Right. He's just the type of player you want on your team, the type of player that's going to make everybody around him better and make everybody's job around them easy. Right. But he made the decision to go play professional basketball. And I'm happy. Right. I'm happy because that's what he wanted to do. And I'm happy he's not at Arkansas. And I just don't think that you can put ron holland and aj johnson leaving on ronnie terry when they never took another college visit after they decommitted and they never committed another college they both went the professional basketball route and i think you'll start to see this with a lot more players like you saw with jalen green where jalen green could have went to any college in the country but he went to the g league route these players like ron holland and aj johnson these five stars that feel like they're one year away from the nba they want the best path to development 
And when you look at it in high school, they have the ball in their hands and they have the freedom to pretty much do whatever they want. When you look at it in the NBA, your star players, your best players, they have the ball in their hands and you're going to run sets, but you pretty much have the freedom to do whatever you want. College is so much more about offensive sets, structure, how to play within a system, how to play on a team, right? how to play for your teammates. That's what college basketball is about. It's just way more structured than really any other level of basketball you could ever play in. And for a player like Ron Holland, who pretty much is guaranteed to be a top five draft pick in the NBA next year, it makes more sense to start to play like a professional, eat like a professional, train like a professional, build your schedule around being a professional instead of coming to a college team where you're going to be a cog in Ronnie Terry system and may not get to develop as much as you would have in the G league. Right. We know that Ron Holland needs to develop and work on his jump shot. How many opportunities at the university of Texas is he going to have to just put up a bunch of jump shots? Not a bunch. Right. We saw that with Dylan Mitchell last year, and now he has to come back and shoot more jump shots just to improve his draft stock. Ron Holland is looking at it like, I could go to the G League right now and start that progression this season. So not mad at his decision. It makes sense because his future, his goal is to have a lengthy career in the National Basketball Association, not be a lengthy college basketball player. And so it makes sense to start that process right now. Would have loved to see him in a Texas jersey, but I think he is making the best decision for his future. And I think more often down the road, you'll start to see a lot more of these five stars make the decision to go the G League route or the professional basketball route rather than spending what most of them feel like is a pointless year in college basketball. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Good luck to our Texas baseball team. Hopefully they can get out of the Coral Gables Regional this weekend. Hook them and peace.